So you go to the restaurant after services this morning. They're always so crowded. The restaurants are crowded all the time anymore, it seems like, but on Sunday after church especially, you go to the restaurant and there's just an enormous line waiting to get in and you say, man, I wish this line was longer. I'd like to wait longer to get a seat. Are you crazy? That would, you'd never hear that, right? You'd never hear anybody say that, complain about a long line, wish it was longer. You would never hear that. Or you go to buy a used car and you're dealing with one of those used car salesmen, you know, and and they are always so pushy and uh, really try to, uh, you seem like, take advantage of you. And, and so the guy gives you a price on this used car you're looking at and you say, oh, that's not enough. I want to pay more for that used car. Well, you would never hear that. Nobody would ever do that. That's impossible. Or you go to the doctor's office and as you're leaving the doctor's office, you, you mention to the person who's with you, I just wish that doctor would charge more. He never charges enough for his services. No, no, you wouldn't hear that either, right? There's just some things that you would never, ever hear. Uh, this morning, we want to go along that same line, but about a different area. We want to talk about Judgment Day, and in, in sort of a gimmicky way to try to make a point, we want to talk about some things that you will never hear on the Judgment Day. There are just some things that won't be said, when that day comes around. And we want to make some points about that because our intention is to help us all to be better prepared, ready for that great day that is coming, as we sang a few moments ago. Before we get to that, we stop for a minute to thank you all for being here this morning. We're glad to see everybody here. Uh, most all of our folks are here. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And there may be a few visitors with us. We, we welcome you. Hope you'll come back every time you have a chance to be here. Uh, we're glad for this opportunity to gather together to worship God. We pray that he'll be glorified by all of our efforts to serve him today. We pray that we will all be edified. Thanks for being a part of this. Well, again, sort of as a, a gimmick way to get us to think about the judgment day once again, I want to suggest to you that there's some things that you will never hear on that judgment day. First of all, you are not going to hear someone say, there is no God. Because on that day, it will be absolutely clear that there is a God, right? Unfortunately, there are growing numbers of people who deny the existence of God. The stats are, are kind of stunning because the numbers, the percentages of people who do not believe in God, going up rather dramatically and fairly quickly, especially among, among the younger generation. There are lots more people saying there is no God. The fact of the matter is we live in an increasingly secular society. And by secular, we mean a, a society of people who does not have a religious base. They don't operate on the basis of personal faith. It's all about the here and now, and that's the world that we live in. What do you think those people are going to say? on, And what are they going to do on the judgment day? The answer to that question is revealed in the text that Jacob read for us a few moments ago in Romans 14, verse 11. For as it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. There's the answer to your question. What are those atheists? What are those doubters? The people who say they don't believe in God, what are they going to do and say on the judgment day? Well, they're going to bow the knee before God, and they're going to confess him. There will be no unbelievers on the Day of Judgment. There will be no atheists. Sad thing, of course, is uh, that for those who went to Judgment Day in that state of disbelief, 
They're going to confess God, all right, but it'll be too late for them to be able to confess God into salvation. It's not going to happen as far as their salvation, but it is going to happen in regards to them confessing the reality of God. The very basic facts of the matter are the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14, verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And what the psalmist is saying there is you ought to be able to look out into the night sky and look into the creation that God has made, marvel at the power of his work, and acknowledge that there is a God in heaven. And it'd be foolish to do otherwise. As a sort of a sidebar note here, there's an article in the bulletin today that I hope you'll read about this big eclipse that we're supposed to experience a week from tomorrow as a, an eclipse going to cross all the way across the continental United States and including our state of Tennessee, parts of it will be under the total eclipse path. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me that we've been reading the predictions of this eclipse for several years now. It's finally come to fruition, but we've been reading about it way back. And interestingly, they tell us that nothing like this has happened here in 99 years. Well, nobody was around here 99 years ago to observe it. How do they know? Well, because they can calculate backwards. They can, scientifically, this, this movement of the stars and planets, the moon, the sun, it's all so precise that they can go back in time and say this is exactly where it was 99 years ago. For years now, they've been telling us about the event that's going to happen next week. And they're also able to tell us when in future years anything like this might happen. They can calculate out years and years and years in advance. How can they do that? Well, because of the precise creation that God made when he created all things. And clearly, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We're going to have that demonstrated to us in powerful form next week with the eclipse, but it's always there. And it's a foolish thing to deny God. But I'll tell you, on the judgment day, there won't be any people who will be denying the reality of God. Well, another thing you won't hear on that judgment day is that one religion is as good as another. Right here, I want to talk about different world religions as versus Christianity. We're going to talk about different forms of Christianity, different Christian, so-called Christian denominations in our next point. But right here, I just want to suggest to you about different world religions, you know, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, Christians. What about all those? Some people have the opinion that one religion is as good as another and that you could follow any of those forms of religion to some kind of eternity out in the future. Uh, the idea is like that these, these different religions are like different paths to the same destination. If you were to leave here in Columbia today and want to drive to Nashville, there are several different routes that you could take. They'll all get you there. Some might be better than others perhaps, but depending on how you want to go, you can get to Nashville on a lot of different roads. And some people have the view of world religions that way. Well, one religion, this religion, that religion, do, they're all good. Do whatever you want. I've got a few quotes for you, for you here. Albert Einstein, the great physicist, said, all religions, arts, and sciences are branches of the same tree. They're all the same. They all branch out of the same tree. Uh, Albert Einstein was uh, an agnostic. He, did, he didn't know for sure about God. Some people say he was a pantheist, that he saw God in all things, uh, that he believed in many different gods, but 
It's all the same to him. They're all branches of the same tree. Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, who obviously was a Muslim, said, rivers, ponds, lakes, and streams, they all have different names, but they all contain water, just as religions do. They all contain truth. Kind of surprising to hear a Muslim say that. Apparently, there are Muslims say, hey, you can follow any religion you want. They're all good. They all have truth. The Dalai Lama, who, of course, is a Buddhist, said all religions try to benefit people with the same basic message of the need for love and compassion, for justice and honesty, for contentment. The Dalai Lama suggests maybe all, all religions, you can get good out of any of them. They're all fine. Ramakrishna, who was a Hindu, and some people came to follow him personally. You may have heard of the Hare Krishnas. Now, he said, God can be realized through all paths. All religions are, are uh, true. The important thing is to reach, to, uh, to reach the roof. You can reach it by uh, stone, stone stairs or by wooden stairs or by bamboo steps or by a rope. You can also climb up by a bamboo pole. Just like different ways to get to the roof, you can, get to, you can get to God through all different forms or ways. And then how about this? Here's a quote from our president, Donald Trump. He said, I grew up in New York City, a town with different races, religions, and peoples. It breeds tolerance. Well, I don't know about Donald Trump's religion, but the idea of we just got to be tolerant of all these different views. One religion, another religion, like like Krishna said, you can get to the roof lots of different ways. You can get to Nashville lots of different roads. It's it's all the same. What do you think about that? Well, none of those people who hold those views are going to hold those views when it comes to Judgment Day because we know what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if that statement means anything at all, it means you can't be a Muslim and get to God. You can't be a Jew and get to God. You can't be a, a Buddhist and get to God. You can't be a Hindu and get to God. Because those religions deny that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. If you're going to go to the Father, you've got to go through Him. Now, that's either true or Jesus was a liar. And that's either true or Jesus died for nothing. If you can go by these other religions, then Jesus didn't have to die, right? Clearly, those other world religions are not going to accomplish what people claim that they will. Peter and John, when they were called before the council, said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way. Jesus is the only way. And there's not going to be anybody on Judgment Day who's going to say, Well, I think one way is as good as another. One religion is as good as another. Well, that leads us to some people who are identified as Christians, but they have the idea that God doesn't really care about the details. Uh, okay, uh, I will agree, they might say, that you have to be a Christian, but beyond that, it's not really important. The fact of the matter is, one church is as good as another, and for that matter, I would simply say, or they would simply say, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, this, is the, this is the popular idea of modern ecumenicalism, that, it, that one church is as good as another. Now, these people, in, in contrast to the folks we were talking about just a minute ago, these people say, well, you've got to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but beyond that, the details don't matter. One church is as good as another, and you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and it's all okay 
and it really doesn't matter. We would say to that that they're absolutely wrong. And they're going to realize that they're wrong come judgment day. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 9, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Notice their religion is in vain. I was talking to the young people Wednesday night about this verse. I think it's a really important verse. So many people in the religious world would be shocked to, to come to the realization that you could worship God and it'd be in vain. Vain means worthless, good for nothing. Well, their idea is any worship. Worship, worship any way you want. doesn't matter. God doesn't care about the details. Jesus said your worship can be in vain if you teach, instead of the true doctrine of Christ, you teach the doctrines and commandments of men. In John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We've often pointed out this verse clarifies the two necessary elements of acceptable worship. It has to be in spirit and in truth. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be heartfelt. It needs to be genuine. But it has to be in accordance with truth. God does care about the details. That's why we stress so often Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We need Bible authority for everything we do. Bible authority to lots of people is not important. And it's not being taught in most churches. And sadly, even some among uh, our brethren are neglecting the, the principles of Bible authority in their teaching and in their practice. We have to be concerned because God cares about the detail. Remind you of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, when Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. We go back in the Old Testament, we read about the specifications for the tabernacle, and they are very detailed and specific. And when God had given all those specifics, he told Moses, you be sure to make it just like that. You make it just like the pattern that was shown you in the mount. God is a God of details. And we realize that, but there are a lot of people in the religious world who do not. But I'll tell you on that judgment day, there won't be anybody saying, God doesn't care about the details. One church is as good as another. I'm okay, you're okay. Those people are not going to be saying that on the day of judgment. Sadly, they will realize, too, light, too late, they will realize that those statements are not true. I'll tell you something else we won't hear on the judgment day, and that is someone arguing, well, at least I was sincere about what I was doing. As you well know, the vast, vast majority of people think that sincerity is the acid test and as long as you're sincere and you have a good and genuine heart, then that's really all that matters. But I'm going to tell you, that, that argument, sincerity, that won't be enough. We already said, John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We already acknowledge that having the right spirit of worship, sincerity, genuineness, from the heart, all those things are necessary. But it won't be enough. And people who try to plead for their salvation based upon the fact that what they were doing was sincere are going to miss out on heaven in eternity. We already referenced Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. But I want you to look at the verse that immediately precedes that. Verse 8 says, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, here are some people who are going through the motions and they tried to claim their devotion to God. They honored Him with the, the mouth, uh, with their lips, 
But their hearts weren't right because they weren't truly obeying the commands of God. Just having a heart, either properly involved or not, our heart has to be right, but we've got to be doing what God commands us to. Paul's example, I think, is the classic one about someone who had a good attitude, a sincere desire to do the will of God, but he was absolutely wrong, obviously. Remember in Acts chapter 26 when Paul was on trial, in Acts chapter 26, verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison. And having received authority from the chief priest, when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Here Paul's telling about his life before he was a Christian. But notice, he thought that he was doing the right thing. In fact, in a, in a previous statement while he was on trial, in chapter 23, verse 1, Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Was good conscience enough? Sincerity? Uh, having a genuine heart, a desire to please God, is that enough? Well, if you're going to argue that, then you're going to have to also argue that Paul would have been fine as he was going about persecuting Christians because he was trying, he thought he was doing what he thought was right and he had a good conscience in the matter. His heart was sincere in all of that. We have to acknowledge there aren't going to be any people making that argument on the day of judgment because it won't work. It simply won't work. So here are some statements. You can probably add to that list. But again, our purpose here is to try to get us to deal with the realities of that impending day of judgment. When is it coming? Nobody knows that. Nobody can predict that. But when it does come, we know somewhat of, we, uh, of the things to expect. And we know some of the kind of arguments or statements that won't work. In fact, there won't be even any reason to make the argument. There is no God. One religion is good as another. One church is good as another. I was sincere. All that kind of thing. It won't work. All those who would try to make an argument like that are clearly going to be lost on the day of judgment. But now I want to try to change gears a minute. We've been talking about those who were lost, but I want to suggest to you there's something that you won't hear on that day of judgment either. But this doesn't come from those who will be lost. This comes from those who will be saved. And the people who will be saved on the judgment day will not say, I sure regret the time and effort I spent trying to follow Jesus faithfully. You're not going to hear that either. Among the saved, you won't hear anybody expressing regrets. I had to work too hard to get here. It was too tough. I wish I hadn't done it. I wish I'd lived my life in a different manner. There won't be any of that on the day of judgment either. Um, we understand, we acknowledge that there's a price to be paid in order to live a faithful Christian life. There's no doubt about that. And the Scriptures talk to us about the necessary sacrifice uh, that we must make in order to be a faithful child of God. I really believe, I think you would agree with me, that, that what we're asked, the, the price we're asked to pay, Jesus said, take it to the cross daily, follow me. The cross-bearing that we're expected to do is minor in comparison with the blessings that God provides for us. He provides us blessings now, and of course, ultimately in eternity. And so while there is a price to pay, a sacrifice to be made, a cross to be borne, it, it cannot be held up in any comparison at all 
to the wonderful blessings in Christ and eternity in heaven. It will all be worth it. Uh, and there won't be anybody expressing regrets who's lived for the Lord. There, on that judgment day, there will be no one there expressing regrets. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, we reference this verse so often, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And the way we usually use this verse is to stress the need for continued faithfulness. You've got to be faithful unto death to receive the crown of life. Of course, it, it makes that statement, it makes it powerfully. But you know one thing, I don't think we, t we think about this, when we look at this verse at least, we don't think about this very much, but notice it talks about a crown of life. It's a crown of life. And that's what we'll get if we've been faithful, and we won't say, I'm, I'm sorry for how much I had to do to get here. It's going to be a crown of life eternal, and that's the blessing. Don't forget that. How wonderful it will be on that day to hear the words Jesus mentioned in Matthew 25, verse 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing if we make it to that point, we've lived faithfully and we've served, even if we've had to pay some price to get there, we won't be sorry. It will be worth it all. And so we need to be busy working so that we can hear those promised words. 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Peter says, Give diligence. Work hard. Put forth the effort. Give diligence. You know, sometimes I think Christians need to be urged a little. Are you being diligent? Are you putting forth effort? Are you, could you honestly say that you're being diligent? Be diligent, Peter said. Be diligent to make, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For, a, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be diligent to receive that reward on the judgment day. You won't be sorry. There'll be no regrets. You won't be people, you won't, there won't be people there who are ministered, uh, an entrance ministered abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There won't be anybody who is receiving that reward who says, it was too much and I had to work too hard to get here. There will be no regret on the judgment day. Well, as we said, we're just trying to come up with a little bit of a different way to encourage us to be ready about the judgment day. It's coming. Are you going to be ready for that? Know that your human excuses won't work that day. In fact, I think it's pretty clear that people won't even try to offer those kind of excuses on the judgment day. They're just going to be completely futile. If you're not ready to meet the Lord, you need to be ready. When's that judgment day coming? I don't know. I honestly don't know, and I don't think anybody could make any prediction about that. It could be today. It could be before this service ends. It could be before you get home for lunch. We don't know that. But the fact of the matter is it would be foolish to stay in an unprepared condition knowing that that judgment day is coming, and it could come at any moment. Whenever it does come, we need to be ready. Are you ready? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for remission of sins. Have you done that? If you have not, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you're not, you, you know in your heart that you're not really being faithful to your Lord, are you ready for judgment day in that condition? No. If you're not right with God, even as a Christian, if you've slipped back, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.